key to life. Hello, this is Sekou Burmese, your host of The Lit Review, a podcast brought to you by the Academy of Management Journal. In this podcast, we dive into the insights of recent research published in the Academy of Management Journal, and we interview authors and corporate leaders to discuss the inspiration for research ideas and how insights from this research apply to current pressing issues in organizations and markets. We have a fantastic guest this episode, Laura Huang, Professor of Management and Organizational Dynamics, Distinguished Professor, and Faculty Director of the Women's Entrepreneurship Initiative at Northeastern University. Laura's research focuses on quantifying the unquantifiable, where she examines the role of intuition and signaling in behavioral interactions and economic decisions. In our conversation today, we talk about gender differences and how this can lead to gender inequities. In a recent paper in AMJ, Laura and her co-authors investigate this question in an important entrepreneurial setting, the pitch meeting. They investigate how gender differences in communication impact investor perceptions of the venture. We also speak more broadly about her research regarding the factors connected to inequality in organizations and markets. And then Laura shares some of her personal views about the role of academic research in trying to develop solutions for these inequities. Laura also shares some great insights from her recent book about how everyone can turn adversity into an edge. I hope that you enjoy this episode of The Lit Review and my discussion with Laura Huang. Hi, Laura, and welcome to The Lit Review. How are you doing today? Hey, Seiku. So nice to see you. And I love the name of the podcast, Lit Review. Yes, it is a, a double entendre that uh, I'd like to say is clever, but really it's just the first thing that popped into my mind when Mark asked me, what, what should we name it? <laughs> I was like, well, a lit review is important and I want this podcast to be lit, which means I good. know. Oh, what the kids oh, say oh, these days. I, I like that. Okay. I didn't even get that, but this is lit. I love that. Very nice. (laughs) All right. So we are here uh, today to talk um, a little bit about uh, some of your research. So um, part of what we do in this podcast is we look at uh, a recently published paper uh, in AMJ, and then we we dive in. We invite the, the author, one of the authors to come in and talk about it, but also kind of generalize. And so I want to start with uh, the the anchor paper. So the paper that we're here to discuss is one that was recently published uh, at AMJ entitled Sizing Up Entrepreneurial Potential, Gender Differences in Communication and Investor Perceptions of Long-Term Growth and Scalability. It's a lot of words. What uh, the paper does really well uh, through, through multiple studies is talk about how the differences in communication across gender impacts investor perceptions. And so within entrepreneurship, uh, obviously um, pitches happen quite often and entrepreneurs are having to communicate and just the ways that men versus women communicate uh, has uh, an impact potentially with investors. And so before we get into the nuts and bolts, I want to ask you a kind of general question. What what motivated you to get into this topic? Why did this uh, become a a topic that you wanted to study and, and eventually publish in? Yeah, that's a good question because, you know, a lot of times, well, different papers have different origins. And I think that, um, you know, sometimes you write papers because there's some question mark that you've had that you've observed in the world, and then you start to investigate that question. And other papers um, sort of come out 
just almost like serendipitously that you've Mm. been studying something else. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, a topic kind of arises. And this paper was that second bucket where Mm. I had been studying, I had been studying entrepreneurs and I had been studying investors. Um, I had been studying how investors make decisions about entrepreneurs and which ones they want to invest in, provide resources to. Um, And a lot of my earliest work was on gut feel Mm -hmm. and some of the implicit factors that investors use. And as I started doing that research, the sort of serendipitous part or the part that that started coming out was that when investors use their gut feel, that there are all sorts of things embedded in this. Sometimes it's explicit things, sometimes it's implicit things. More often it's implicit um, and subconscious things because of that gut feel nature to it. And biases and hunches and and things can be almost hidden or built into their gut feel. One of those biases being gender bias. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are lots of different biases that are out there, including, you know, race, ethnicity, class, religion, sexual orientation, education, accent, lots of different things. Um, And so this paper was specifically about um, gender differences and gender disparities. Um, and it's one of the papers that um, came out of my my research on gut feel and how gender disparities kind of sometimes come out of this acquisition, this, this entrepreneurial acquisition process. Yeah. Serendipity in research. I love that. I I would like to say I've experienced that in my in my life. I think for me, I've always kind of chalked it up to me search. Just I end up <laughs> the things that occur to me are things that I've I've personally uh, thought about or or experienced. But uh, serendipity when it can happen is, is really great. So let's let's dive into the kind of the paper. What what I guess is the way, and I'm sure you've been asked about this paper uh, several times. It's um, it's a very interesting topic. It's very relevant. What are kind of your key takeaways that you want people to walk away from uh, after reading this paper or reading the abstract or reading the uh, summary of this paper? Yeah, you know, I think that there's some pretty, um, you know, there's some takeaways that are more of the ones that are readily apparent that you notice right away. Mm -hmm. And then there are some that are either, you know, much more implicit themselves, like the the the, the takeaways themselves are implicit, and I kind of like those implicit takeaways. Yeah. Um, so let me start there before okay. I get to some I of the it. more obvious ones. Um, but the the sort of implicit takeaway that I really love from this paper is that we mentally represent some of the the perceptions that we have based on other things. So meaning that. What, what one thing could signify something else, and we don't even know that these two things signify the same thing. To put it much more concretely here, you know, the fact that someone speaks abstractly gives people certain cues or signals that that person is a broader thinker or mm. that they grow things bigger or that they mm. can build things much more successfully mm-hmm. just from like, subtly being more abstract, right? And so like, you know, your 
I'm trying to think of an example of like other significant, like, you know, there's this thing that in, in Korean culture and a lot of Asian cultures that when a baby turns, when a child turns one, you put objects in front of them, right? So you might put like a pen in front of them. Okay. You might put like a paintbrush in front of them. You might put a dollar bill in front of them. You uh -huh. put different objects yeah. and you sit the baby in front of all of these objects uh -huh. and then they'll grab one of them and whichever one they grab, first is what they what, what the sort of tradition says they're going to be when they grow up this is a signal of of uh what they implicitly are drawn to yes so like if they're they, if they pick up the pen first it's like oh they're going to be a writer and they're going to be really <laughs> thoughtful and introspective if they pick yeah. up a paintbrush right they're going to be really artistic and oh. abstract if they pick up the dollar bill they're going to be really practical and you know and so that's that's sort of the like an example of you know there's like subtle things we draw connections between mm. things and in this paper um investors draw connections based on whether someone communicates more concretely or abstractly or concrete representations or more yep. abstract representations. All right. So um, for, for those of us who are not construal theory uh, heads, uh, for my non-construal theory heads out there, the abstract concrete, um, what is, could you give an example of, of what that means, particularly with pitches, right? I have a, a lot of students, uh, friends who are putting together their pitches and I don't know if this is ever something that I've been asked specifically, like, am I being too abstract or specific? Or maybe it's something they struggle with. So what, what are some examples of, of this language? Yeah, I mean, in terms of construal theory, like construal theory is a much broader sort of umbrella that yeah. talks about how people mentally represent information mm -hmm. using more abstract or concrete um, kind of cognitive representation. So yeah. this can be anything from like temporal, like is it is it more distance in terms of time? Right. Okay. Is it something that's occurring far in the future versus something yeah. more recent? It can be actual physical. Um you know, are you standing closer to somebody or mm. are you standing further away from someone? Mm -hmm. um, there's all sorts of different ways that we we think about um, proximal, right, versus far, right. So this sort of distance kind of yeah. thing. Like, is it a is it a smaller audience? Is it a larger audience? And and so this sort of concreteness and abstractness is mm -hmm. is is how we conceptualize it. Is one of the ways that that my co-authors and I yeah. sort of looked at this. And by the way, shout out to my co-authors yeah. on this paper: Priyanka okay. Joshi, mm -hmm. Cheryl Waxlack, and Andy Wu. And so what we what we really wanted to do was take our understanding of construal theory and this distance, this use of constraint versus abstract speak to try and understand the perceptions and attributions that investors are making about entrepreneurs. All right. So I guess the million dollar question is what do investors like more, the abstract or the concrete? Yeah. So, I mean, as with, with most of our, our papers, <laughs> there's like, <laughs> there's like the, the main finding and uh -huh. then there's like the moderators and the mediators and all that sort of stuff. The, the main finding here is that when people speak more abstractly, we're more likely to perceive that they are building a scalable, large business that you know, has long-term growth. And of course, investors want to be investing in companies that have 
long-term growth and scalability. Yeah. And so there is there's that sort of effect where uh, that that connection is drawn. But mm -hmm. what's interesting here is that um, there's a very distinct gender component here mm. where we find that um, male entrepreneurs are more likely to be speaking abstractly and female entrepreneurs um, are more likely to sp be speaking concretely. And so, of course, this is one of this is one way that we can kind of understand gender disparities that are out there. Wow. All right. So that sounds like a, a pretty key finding, definitely something. And I know one of the, the takeaways in the paper is around for uh, female entrepreneurs to be aware of this, right? To be aware of this bias, this implicit bias, right? That investors might have. And so, you know, tailoring your pitch uh, in that way. Uh, any other kind of things that uh, you took away, even things that maybe didn't make it to the paper, but things that interested you about this before we kind of broaden the uh, the lens a bit? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that I think I find really interesting that, you know, we we wanted to make sure that we highlighted in the discussion section that we that we want to continue highlighting is that we're not saying that women should be forced to speak a certain way, right? We're mm -hmm. not saying that, we're, we're not telling women that they should behave in a certain way or that there is an ideal or a preferred way of speaking. It's really about embracing all different parts because there are all of these mediators and moderators and and things that are happening. But the the paper was really about understanding this this dimension and and understanding that there are disparities in terms mm. of who gets the the investments and the more we can understand uh these factors the more that we can continue to do research that speaks to disparities and in inequalities that that exist so that's something that i that i always want to be really clear about because yeah. sometimes people read this paper and they're like oh well the solution is to have women <laughs> speak more abstractly right and that's not what we're suggesting at, yeah. at all yeah. um this is this is not sort of a like we're not trying to to strategically manage impressions here we're yeah. we're, we're really trying to understand all of the multifaceted dimensions that exist so that's great this is a perfect segue because one of the things that i find really interesting and you know as academics particularly academics in business schools where we are we're an applied area and so a lot of the things we study are to impact practice and so in something as important and you know potentially controversial as gender inequality gender inequity what do you see as is the role of, of academics of research like this right and and I, and I'll I say that with this you know in the back of mind which is there is this idea of understanding the gap like, mm -hmm. why is there a gap in certain things? And then there's research that says, well, how can we close it? Right. Yeah. And so part of what you said that I loved is, you know, we're doing, you know, one and we're not saying that this is the other. right? But there are ways to interpret any kind of research one way as either explaining something or as a solution. And so I was just curious for you, you know, in, in tackling this and in, in, in you doing this in, in some other work as well. What do you think is the role of research, particularly around finding out and understanding the gap versus being a solution to the gap. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times we you know, we we need to be able to bridge the two and bridge the two where we're 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 being really open to not just the the research and the methods but also mm -hmm. to the solutions and 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 the sort of 
avenues for future research, if you mm -hmm. want to call it that. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I, I know that sometimes like that the the discussion section and the like avenues for future research is almost like tacked on. And it, to be honest, that used to be my least favorite section to write is the mm. discussion section and like mm. avenues for future research. And I don't know if this talks, it speaks to like my age or something, <laughs> but now it's become my favorite section to write yeah. because it allows us to do exactly what you're saying is yeah. like, take what we've learned from research mm -hmm. and start thinking about, you know, what are the practical implications what are the steps that we can be taking in a way where we we can we can brainstorm we can be hypothesizing we can yeah. be setting up things for the for the future so i think the role of research is to to really outline and is to like identify a problem that exists mm -hmm. provide a perspective on how our research addresses that or 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 answers it in some way, but also be opening the sort of work up to new mm -hmm. questions and new solutions that 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 we'll continue to investigate. So that's really the purpose of I think research and academia in general is to like continue building on each other's building on each other's knowledge. And I think that the more we can continue doing that and remembering mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. an individual paper doesn't have to be answering, you know, it's not like the holy grail of a topic. Yeah. It's like <laughs> It's really just adding to to that conversation. And I think about that sometimes as like it is like a conversation. It's like we're imagine that we're all around a dinner table and we've got these different. Well, like, hey, let me tell you about this paper that showed this. And somebody yeah. else is like, let me tell you about a paper that showed this. And then like mm. together we we start to put this together and come up with these like very practical ways that yeah. that we can be impacting Um yeah entrepreneurship, impacting organizations, impacting any sort of context that we're looking at. Yeah. I love that, um, that take on it about the conversation because, uh, that's valid. I mean, it also assumes that people are listening and talking to one another and not just yelling at one another, uh, on, on certain topics. And, you know, this is, this is a topic I, I teach, you know, a class that kind of gets at HR kind of pieces and, invariably we'll get to some inequity uh, piece and people, you know, feel emotions. Right. And I think yeah. that's, that's valuable. And so part of what we can do as academics is say, well, here's what we know empirically. Here's what we've seen. And then here are some solutions. And so understanding the communication patterns and how that impacts things within the entrepreneurial ecosystem. I mean, you can imagine that you talk to a group of female entrepreneurs, they're going to be interested in what you found. Now, what they do with that information, that is, I guess, part of the larger conversation, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's good. So I'm going to ask a question that really leans into my own bias, which is I'm familiar with your work, as you are, as you are aware. And uh, you wrote a book a few years ago now. What is it? A few years ago? Two years ago? Yeah. Yeah. It's gone quick. Time, yeah, time is a flat circle right now. So uh, forgive me. Um, called Edge. And I couldn't help but think about, you know, in, in thinking about serendipity, you know, because that book is about turning adversity into an advantage. Do you see any links in, in your mind or do you see any links between kind of uh, ideas you had in that book in general and some of this research here that you're doing looking at uh, gender uh, inequities? Yeah, I mean, totally. It was exactly what you were speaking about before, was, which was this actionable piece of it, right? Mm. So I had been doing this research for a really long time. And every time I would present this research, 
I would get the question like, oh, wow, you're identifying all of these disparities and this inequality. And what do we do about it? Right. Mm. What do we do about it? How do we level the playing field? How do we what are the solutions that we could do? And so this book was really like kind of like one big discussion section. <laughs> My publisher's <laughs> going to hate that I describe it as that, but it was I like, think, you know, I think I'm that's limited. on the inside jacket cover. Uh, one big giant discussion section <laughs> that sold a lot of books. I know, I know. This is going to sell tons of books. We really are all just thirsting for one huge discussion <laughs> section. But what, what this book really was, it was that I wanted to talk about you know, what can we, what can we do? How do we level the playing field? You know, how do we take this adversity and flip it to our advantage? Like if there are all these disparities, what are the ways that we can actually put things in place for ourselves so that we can gain an edge? And, you know, and it was, it was, it was about this sort of notion that we, we work really hard. Like all of us work really, really hard. Well, not all of us, but you know, <laughs> yes. you know, but you know, hard work alone is hard work alone is not always enough. Right. Yeah. And I saw this, I saw this with entrepreneurs. I saw this mm. with, you know, women entrepreneurs. Um, I saw this with, you know, black women who were trying to, uh, you know, were facing like barrier after barrier after barrier, you know, not, you know, not just women, not just based on race or ethnicity, but again, like all of those, this like class, religion, yeah. sexual orientation, you know, communication patterns, all of these different ways in which people were putting in the hard work, but hard work alone was not enough. And so I sort of took all of the work, the body of work that I had been working, that I had been looking at and started realizing that there were some, there were some patterns. So I I sort of did a one big, like qualitative study of all of my work. And I realized that there was these there was a framework embedded in this. And that was the edge, what became the edge framework where the book is about gaining an edge, but the E, D, G, and E actually stand for the components of this framework where the E stands for enrich, right? Mm -hmm. We all enrich and provide value, but we don't always see that or others don't always see that. The D stands for delight, We all have authentic ways that we can delight our counterparts, Mm -hmm. regardless of whether it's an investor, a supplier, a boss, whoever. The G stands for guide. That part of gaining an edge is even when we enrich and delight is guiding people to the perceptions, guiding their perceptions of who we are. And the final E stands for effort and hard work. And what I realized is that effort and hard work come last. When you know how you enrich and delight and guide, that's when your effort and hard work actually work harder for you. And instead, we often think that hard work comes first, that if you put in the hard work, it'll speak for itself. But in fact, it doesn't. And so a lot of my research, a lot of, you know, understand, trying to understand what I was seeing in the entrepreneurship ecosystem went into this book. All right. So you just answered. Uh, I'm glad I asked this question because um, what you're telling me is you propose the questions to understand the differences in your articles and then you answer them in the book. And this is really smart because then people have to buy the book to understand the questions. All right. Well, no this one's is... going to buy it now because I just said it's one big discussion section. Oh, no, no. They'll, they will. You know why? Because Daniel Pink, author of Drive, said about Edge. <laughs> It is packed with fascinating stories and counterintuitive principles. It is a must read. It's a must read. 
Oh, it, it, Dan, Daniel Pink said it was a must read. All righty. Okay. So they, yeah. they, they've only gotten the piece. They need to get all the cool stories. That's important. Yeah. And and there are there are some, you know, there's some cool stories, but there are also some embarrassing stories. As you know, we've talked about this. I didn't realize how much was going to, you know, you're writing the book and you put in all of these stories thinking that a lot of it's going to get edited. You're yeah. going to, you know, you're going to edit all of this out. And then you read the final manuscript and you're like, oh, my gosh, this story is still in there. And so it's it's a very mm-hmm. um interesting humbling experience when you when you realize how much of these personal stories actually end up in your book yeah i'm never writing a book for that reason (laughs) you're gonna do a podcast instead yes i'm just gonna reveal all my secrets on a podcast all right well two last things i want to ask the first is are there any kind of unanswered questions that uh are noodling around in your brain right now or things that you're hoping someone else is 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 working on just questions that you want to have answered Yeah. I mean, I have to say that a lot of times I, so I review a lot of papers now that are on gender, gender and disparities. And so I would say that the number one thing that I, I sort of am always like thirsting for is like, wow. Okay. We know gender disparities exist. We know that there are, there are Again, we know that there are differences based on gender, race, ethnicity, class, et cetera, et cetera. I would love to see this work go extend beyond just the the fact that there are these disparities, like continuing to to like chisel away at like, why are these there are these disparities? So, for example, one of my doctoral students, Beck, who is is at the University of Wisconsin, and I'm on his committee. We we started like he's looking at you know pitches, and he's looking at entrepreneurs, yep. and he was looking at sort of some of these elements, and we started exploring like this congruence piece more, right? Mm. Like where where, um, for example, someone might say something, and they might be like, "I'm so excited." But uh-huh. their face doesn't look like they're excited <laughs> at all, uh-huh. right? And or they're writing something. And so it's like there's this, the visual, there's the voice, there's all of these different things. And so he's looking at like this really interesting type of disparity, right? Yeah. That goes beyond these kind of things, but could also include all of this intersectionality and all of these different yeah. things. But he's looking at like this this congruence or this uh, this like when things don't quite fit. Um, And like, I feel like that's so uninteresting. These are the types of unanswered questions that we can take. Like are, are certain people more likely to, to demonstrate uh, like, I don't know, I don't even know what to call it, but like um, Beck can tell you all about it. Um, (laughs) But I I find that kind of interesting. And these are the types of things that I think are going to continue to push the envelope when we look at things like bias and disparities and decision-making and signaling and cues. And, And I would also love to see people continue to investigate questions around like these subtle factors, um, and and taking like the gut feel and really Mm -hmm. like disentangling a lot more of what's embedded in that yeah well i i also hope that uh beck uh has much success because that sounds interesting i i think about how many times uh, you know sitting in meetings meeting with people what they call these first impressions are a lot of what you're talking about right these gut feel and that's what i've loved about your research is it it has shown me that oftentimes, you know, preferences that I've had have been based on things that now I can, I can actually put a finger on. It's like, oh, well, the reason I just tend to prefer this person versus that person because they do this or that, or they speak this way or that way. 
Um, you know, and, and in this paper in particular, I was thinking about the fact that as an engineer or recovering engineer, I hate abstract. I yeah. always want concrete. And so I'd be the opposite, but I'm, I'm not the norm. And I'm also not uh, a rich VC. So there you go. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I should say, I want to give Beck the full shout out because now everyone's like, who's this Beck guy? <laughs> his name is Bexode Koshimov. That's All his right. full name. He goes by, <laughs> he goes by Beck, but Bexode Koshimov is his full name. So look up his work. He's super, he's doing some great work. And while I'm doing shout outs, I don't want to ignore my other doctoral student, Natalia right. Langbird Wright, who is right. also amazing. So okay. those are my two doctoral students right now. <laughs> well, that's good. I was about to say, is there anything uh, you want to plug any other students? anybody doing great work that you want to talk about or um and i have a last last question after that but anything else where where can uh we hear about uh the, the latest and greatest that you have to offer yeah i mean i think that there's so much that i want to plug i think there's a lot of great research that 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 people are are doing that are continuing to really push things and i and i i really applaud people who are taking chances on research mm. i know it's sometimes really hard to to do that but i find the most interesting papers the ones that i'm like oh i wish i had had written this are are ones that are like really they they just ask interesting questions that take chances, you know, mentioning some like I love Bess Rouse's work. Mm -hmm. um, I think she does really interesting work. I love Crystal Farr, Dan Feiler, Jenny Carson Marr, all of their work. Um, who else? Like, I feel like I need to name all of these. No, now these, anybody these... you've left out, they're going to I know, I know. Right, we'll Andy Wu, co-author yeah. of mine. He's doing awesome work. <laughs> yeah. David Clough. Okay, who else? I, I, like, all right, I just, I'm cutting I feel like I'm at the now. Oscars now yeah. and I need to like, the, the, the music, the is, music playing. is playing music and is playing. I'm, I'm trying to just name all of these, these people now. Um, and then what was your other question? <laughs> My last one is, something that you are reading for fun right now something that i'm reading for fun okay i love reading fiction so yes. i you know i i even though i write nonfiction and we're all sort of in this nonfiction world um I, I, I love reading fiction. I've got a bunch of books right now. I So I, I read a lot. A nice humble brag. Oh, I, I just read so much. No, no. I, so, I yes. No, either that or people are like, oh, wow, she's super boring. Like her hobbies are are, are limited <laughs> to like reading. But no, I, I love to read. So I have, gosh, what are books? I don't want to tell you what I'm reading right now because it's actually not that great of a book. But I, I want to give some book suggestions. Only Let's one. See. Only just one. one. Yep. Um, and it can't be from the same publisher as your book. I know. Um, okay. Tell so tell me the terrible book you're reading right now. We want to hear about no, it. No, because I feel like I'm an author. I know how horrible it is when somebody um, says, says like negative things about your book. Um, and, so tell and there's us plenty about, of... don't tell us the bad book. Tell us the other book that you're reading. That's fun. That's also the same book. Um, okay. So I, I love, um, I love reading memoirs. I know that's, that's, mm -hmm. uh, so that's when breath fiction. becomes air is one of yeah. my, my favorite books, um, All right. you'll cry a lot. Um, but I want to give a good fiction book. I, um, let's see. I love, um, Hal Borland, um, has some really great books. He's not an author that's super well-known, but I, I really love his books. Um, Elizabeth Strout is an author that I, I like a lot. Um, okay. So that's, that's, that's a couple there. So. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Laura, for giving us your time today. Um, and, uh, thank you audience members for devoting your time for this podcast. We'll be back, uh, next month. Uh, and until then take care. All right. That's it for the lit review. I appreciate Laura for her time and I appreciate you all for listening. 
If you like this episode, please subscribe to the Lit Review podcast. You can find us by searching The Lit Review and AMJ Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast platforms, as well as on the AMJ homepage. You can also follow us on Twitter. We have a weekly Twitter Spaces show called AMJ Radio Live, hosted by AOM Connect on Twitter Spaces. I'll be joining the show once a month to provide a behind-the-scenes look at the podcast and answer any listening questions. Thanks to the Academy of Management for their support for this podcast. Special thanks to my producer, Holly Fearing, for all of her work behind the scenes. Our theme music is produced by Key to Life. This is Sekou Burmese. See you next time. Take care and be good.